The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Feel it coming in the air. Yeah. And there's screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill. I'm ready. It's a dangerous Stop. love affair. Can't be scared when it goes down. Got a problem, tell me Stop. now. Only thing that's on my mind is who gonna this town tonight. Welcome to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk Radio Show, Friday morning. Phoenix, Arizona. It is raining here. I'll tell you what. People do not know how to drive in the rain. It's like people have never seen it before. All that aside, Alex Clancy in studio alone today. We might have uh, Kwame Lasseter calling in. I do have my good friend Donovan Files calling in to give his take on the Thursday night football game last night and the Jameis Winston ongoing investigation. He's a member of the award-winning Miller Files radio show in San Diego. It'll be good to have him on uh, get his take on some things. We're definitely going to cover the Thursday night football game. Uh, the Saints beat the Falcons 17-13, puts the Saints at 9-2. and Really see a new side of the New Orleans Saints that we haven't seen in recent years. And we'll uh, touch on the Jameis Winston investigation, go a little bit more in-depth with the things that have transpired with the interview uh, that the alleged victim gave to William Meggs uh, yesterday, I do believe. Then we'll jump into A-Rod, the, both sides have settled their cases, They're, they've rested their cases and uh, we're just awaiting closing arguments in, in the upcoming days. And then we'll jump into maybe some Lane Kiffin conversation about how he still thinks that he's a part of the USC organization, that anybody in America cares what he has to think. So we'll start with the New Orleans Saints. 17-13 victory, as I just stated. The Falcons have been outscored 135-61 to in the previous four games before last night. That, that is a jarring figure to me. That is not something that we have grown accustomed to in the Matt Ryan era of the Atlanta Falcons with the explosive offense that they normally have. You know, with the Julio Jones going out, I understand that that'll be tarnished a little bit. But you still have Roddy White. He's been injured. Harry Douglas is a deep threat. I don't really understand why the points have been at a premium for the, for the Falcons. On the other side, the Saints have looked really good. You know, their defense is under Rob Ryan. It's a new regime there, and it, it definitely has been... Uh, been coming through in the in in the past games, you know they're nine and two. Their offense will always be there, but it showed last night that their defense can carry them to a victory when the Saints only put up 17, uh, 17 points, two touchdowns in the first half, a field goal in the third quarter, and the defense did the rest. You know, five sacks, two and a half by Jordan Cameron. Uh, they're exciting to watch. That defense is exciting. Now this is a different defense. Than, than the one when they won the Super Bowl, because I believe they gave up the most yards in the NFL that year. They were a very turnover-friendly defense. They would always take chances for pick sixes, for fumbles, stripping the ball, but they never really played solid defense. They would give up a lot of points, but you could sometimes you know lean on them for a defensive touchdown. And I think with the way things have been going this year and last year in the NFL, with it being so offensively heavy, a defense like this could really take them places. And after watching last night, 
they are my pick to make it to the Super Bowl from the NFC. I, I said initially that the Giants would make it there, and I still do believe if they make it to the playoffs, which I still believe that they will win that division, I think that they'll be a force to be reckoned with, especially in cold-weather climates. If they, if they get a home game by chance, which it doesn't look like in this case they will, but if they play in cold-weather climate, they might have an upper edge. I just think that the Saints are the strongest team in the NFC at this point. Steven Jackson had a good game, you know, finally. Uh, Atlanta's just in ruins. I think this is just a throwaway year, and hopefully they'll come back next year better than ever. If Julio Jones can get his foot situation figured out, Roddy White can maybe have another one or two maybe serviceable years. Maybe they might be a playoff contender last year. But they were a lot of people's picks this year. They were many people's picks this year to come out of the NFC. So uh, it, th- that is a, kind of a quandary right there in, in, uh, in Georgia. But for the Saints, they look good. Jimmy Graham seems to be uncoverable. Five catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown. He had a 44-yard touchdown catch that, that kind of swayed momentum into New Orleans' favor, even though the game was in the Georgia Dome. But with Jimmy Graham, Drew Brees, Pierre Thomas, who's having a breakout year, and Darren Sproles, if he's healthy, I don't know who can beat him. Uh, on the line, Donovan Files, one of my good, dear friends, uh, a host, uh, co-host of the Miller Files in San Diego. Donnie, what's up, man? Hey, man, how you doing, man? Uh, I just wanted to chime in on your Saints and Falcons action right here. Please, what do you think? What did you take away from last game, from last night? Um, I took away a lot, and uh, Atlanta really, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate to see such a team with such recent success just go down in flames like this. And you think about it, there's not been a lot of major changes on this team other than the loss of, you know, the couple of injuries and the change of Michael Turner to Steven Jackson. But this team can't find up, you know, and it's unfortunate. But I, I took from, from the Saints, is, yeah, they are in talks of being the best team in the NFC, but I cannot deny the fact that Seattle can basically lean and bend in every different part of their game, but then be brought back up by another part, where you have Marshawn Lynch, a.k.a. Beast Mode. I mean, that says pretty much enough that their rushing attack, you can lean on that when Russell Wilson isn't able to throw the ball. Uh, when the defense is playing well against Seattle. Russell Wilson can scramble out of the pocket, find his decent receivers, and with Percy Harvin on the way back, you're only going to expect that to get even better. And, you know, their defense is one of the tops in the nation. You know, um, sorry, Darrell Rivas, but we're going to call it Sherman Island now yeah. because he is by far the best defensive back in the NFL at this point in time. Um, and one other thing, just to give him some credit, we're going to find out in two weeks on week 14 where the Carolina Panthers stand in this best of the NFC talks because they just took down a great New England Patriots team uh, in, in Monday night fashion. You know, you don't see Tom Brady go down in the limelight very often. And Cam Newton stood up to him and said, uh, this is my league right now. So we're going to see a lot in the next two weeks. And who is the best team in the NFC? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I have the three schedules written out for those three teams, Saints, Panthers, Panthers Seahawks, the Saints have three away games, one Seattle, one Carolina. So we'll definitely see that. New Orleans and Carolina have to play a home-and-home home, uh, with one week separating them. So that'll tell a lot. Yes, I, I concur. I, I don't think the running game for Carolina is as good as advertised at this point. I think the defense is. But if the running game goes away 
from the Carolina attack, can Cam Newton handle the load of being just a pocket passer? So, I mean, it's yet to be seen with that. Seattle, yes, I I agree. I I mean, they're 10-1. They have the best record in the NFL. They They have to go to San Francisco and go to the Giants in December. So that's going to be cold. That's not something they're used to in uh, in Seattle. Then they have Arizona at home, who you cannot, you can't overlook. You can't, especially with their defense and how and how they've been playing recently. Their defense against the run has jumped leaps and bounds this year. And uh, then, I mean, they finished with Seattle. I think feel like the Lord would be clinched at that point. But I mean, all three all three schedules are pretty much even with home and away with with difficulty of teams. And it'll be interesting. I just think Drew Brees can supersede any defense. And I don't think Russell Wilson or Cam Newton can do that. I 100% agree with you that he is the only one that he can basically uh, shoulder a team, Drew Brees, in that case. But that's almost why I kind of lean towards Seattle because they don't need to shoulder it by only one individual. And I love that each one of these teams basically has to play each other. We're seeing a lot of, you know, um, great matchups coming down here into the final weeks of the season, which sometimes they try for, but sometimes they fail miserably at. Um, Interestingly enough is how you say Carolina and uh, the Saints still have to meet each other, I believe, twice, you said. The scheduling this season has gone very, very diverse compared to previous years. Denver plays Kansas City twice in the last six weeks of the season. Indianapolis plays Tennessee twice in the last six weeks of the season. Here you have Carolina and New Orleans. These are all division winners, not playing very many division games until it comes all the way down to it, which I find to be very interesting, but makes for great football when you've got 9-0 and Kansas City versus 8-1 and Denver. In a couple of weeks, you'll have a possibility of 10-2 and New Orleans versus 9-3 and Carolina. So the, the scheduling has been interesting this year, to say the least, but it's it's paying off because we're watching great football here at the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because it, for in the past few years, it's seemingly that the NFL is taking uh, plays out of the playbook, so to speak, from college football uh, just in different things. You, know, you have the read option. You have a lot of different things that are coming out of college football that are being implemented in the NFL, and this might be another one. That's an interesting point, that you play your non-conference games early and you play all your conference games towards the end of the year. So, I mean, that that's interesting, and, and it'll really show who the best teams are. It'll really show who the best teams are. And to think that the Panthers or the Saints are going to be a wild card team, I would not want to play them as a wild card team. It's going to be one of the two with how things are standing now, unless unless a team from you know the uh, the NFC North, because that that's all jumbled about, comes out and 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 beats them out for record, which I don't think is going to happen. But I mean, it'll be it, it, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good stretch run for the NFL. And I mean, Roger Goodell. Say what you want about him, but he, I mean, he's done it again. I'm not sure how much of the schedule he has his hands on, but I feel like he oversees everything, and, and this is just another another great thing. Seeing Kansas City and Denver play two out of three weeks is fantastic, even though I think Kansas City is not as good as their record indicates. Um, but that's that's a story for a different day, and I do want to say it's Cameron Jordan, not Jordan Cameron. I butchered his name. Uh, it's uh, all right, because Jordan Cameron... Um, the other one, Cameron Jordan, <laughs> plays for the Browns. So you got yeah, both of them. I did, I did. You know what? I got, I got a player in the NFL, so, so that works out. Yeah, you're not too far off. Now, uh, just about Jimmy Graham really quickly. We have about two minutes till break. What would you do if you were a defensive coordinator on how to uh, defend this guy? Do you just put two uh, guys on him and hope that they don't have another stud receiver that can burn you on the other side? Well, it's almost becoming like a situation where you have to 
spy the quarterback with an extra body who doesn't really move or play defense except for on the quarterback. Where at this point, you're going to almost have to start putting, if you want to shut him down, because Marcus Colson had an uh, um, invisible first half of the season, yes. has finally come on the last three weeks or so, finally finding the end zone a couple of times. Um, so their, their passing game is going to start to spread out a little bit more, I think. But if you really want to focus on Jimmy Graham, you're going to have to start doubling him every single play, someone off the line, and then a true DB or um, a true safety or actual DB as opposed to a linebacker has to be the one to, to actually man him up because there, there's zero opportunity for you. But, you know, come <laughs> next week when Darren Sproles is back on the field, you're going to lose that DB or that linebacker, whoever it may be, covering Jimmy Graham, and then Darren Sproles is going to be back out. Right, it's it's pick your poison. I mean, with New Orleans, they have so many. He completed a pass to nine different receivers last night from guys you'd never even heard of. Yeah, and they, I mean, I mean and, and I think Kenny Stills is the new is the new Robert Meacham. He's the new deep threat, and Marcus Colston is old faithful. He'll always be there. He'll always produce when you need him to, especially because defenses now forget about him, as you said, due to his lack of production through the first half of the season. You need to pick your poison, and Drew Brees will pick you apart. What you need to do to beat Drew Brees is keep him off the field, one, which is easier said than done, and number two is make him throw interceptions. Make him turn the ball over, pressure him, get fined, do whatever you got to do to, to, to tackle him, and, and that's, an, again, another, a story for a different day. Uh, we, yeah. do, we, we do have to take a break. On the other side, we'll talk about Jameis Winston. I want to get your take, Donovan. And um, there's a couple more statements that have come out that have really miffed me about how this sexual assault case is being overlooked for the sake of football. So Kwame Lasser, Sports Talk. Alex Clancy, we'll be back in a minute. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Arms. Arms. 
award-winning Miller Files radio show in San Diego. Donnie, tell me a little bit about your show, how people can listen. Well, every uh, Tuesday we are on from uh, noon to 2 on San Diego Station AM 1320. Best way to listen, though, is to go online, palomar.edu slash KKSM. That's our uh, call letters, KKSM, the radio revolution. And um, also make sure to check out Facebook. Uh, we have uh, the Miller Files uh, Facebook page, so facebook.com slash the Miller Files. You get on, on all the PJ and Donovan, the Miller Files goodness. Awesome. So you guys do a top ten of the week. You do a question of the week, right? And then you do sports yep. for the last hour. Is that right? Yeah, we recap. We, we have a little This Day in History segment, so we recap some of the greater things that have happened in history, whether it be sports or just randomness in the world on whatever day we happen to be broadcasting. And then we go into, like you said, a top ten list, or sometimes we go into a debate of the week. We've had such um, such doozies as how long can you wear jeans before you have to wash them. <laughs> and then we go into, you know, um, drug testing high school athletes. So we go both sides of the spectrum, which, uh, you know, the joke and more of the serious. And then, yes, the second half, the second hour of our show, turn over to the sports side, focus on the Chargers, Lakers and Clippers, you know, whatever's relevant. Cool. Good stuff, man. Well, yeah, be sure to check that out. 1320 AM? 1320? Yeah. 1320 Palomar. KKSM. Palomar.edu slash KKSM. There you go. Cool, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a great show. It's a great show. Um, and, I mean, that's a great name, by the way. I don't know who came up with that, but that's a great name. Um, okay, so uh, Jameis Winston, the ongoing investigation about the alleged sexual assault that occurred December 7th, 2012. The alleged victim was interviewed yesterday by William Meggs, who is a Florida State attorney. Um, the alleged victim was a student at Florida State. This occurred in an off-campus apartment complex. Uh, and what what's miffed me recently was it took 11 months for this to come out. Somehow it got leaked to the media. Some people say it's the, the police did it. Some people say it was investigators. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's all hearsay at this point. But the fact is that it came out, and this woman has withdrew, withdrawn from classes, withdrew from, withdrawn from classes. This is starting to negatively affect her life even more than it already did. Say hypothetically that this did happen, that, this was a, that she was a victim of, of a sexual crime, that that's enough. I feel like for somebody to go through now, she has to go through the the public, you know, the whole public rigmarole of being responsible, quote unquote, for potentially taking Jameis Winston off the football field. God forbid. So this is something that it, if you listen yesterday, I got really heated about this. That in the state of Florida, seemingly football was more important than rape. And that is something that is never okay, that is something that is never condoned, and it's something that should never, ever even be put into question. There's one thing that came out today, there's a quote that came out today, that if Winston is charged with the felony of this sexual, uh, with the felony that, you know, the crime, he'll be subject to suspension from the team, from the team, from the team, not from school, but just from the team. So this is the handbook quote of... What happens if a student athlete is charged with a felony? They will not be able they will not be permitted to represent Florida State athletics in a game competition until such time as the charge is resolved and all court, university, and athletics department conditions for reinstatement have been met. It goes on to say 
that the FSU policy does include a stipulation that allows the suspension to be waived, quote-unquote, for extraordinary circumstances as determined by the administration. If this kid is allowed to play football after being charged of rape, I will never, ever watch a Florida State football game again. I will write a letter to the president. I will go nuts. If this, if this kid is allowed to play football just because he's the Heisman leader in votes and because they're the number two team in the country, I will never, ever be okay with this. Donnie? You sound like you should um, hang out with Bobby Bowden more often. <laughs> I mean, because I'm pretty sure he's blacklisted Florida State in his mind as well as one of the most winning college football coaches in history who has gone down in infamy now in the Florida State program. This is an issue of collegiate athletics that I think stretches a lot further than just a single university. I mean, so many things have come up in just the past three or four years. And I'm not talking about anything involving really money. I'm not talking about the Jim Trestle issue with, you know, kids accepting improper benefits. This goes back to the fact that we've seen some heinous crimes, some SVU type stuff in college athletics in the previous two to three years that supersedes any sport can ever do. A sport is a game. We are watching people play a game. And you are 100% correct in your mindset is that if this young man is actually charged and then they find some, quote, extraordinary circumstance that's determined by the administration, unquote, that allows him to play, it will it'll rewrite books of allowing, um, of being above the law, of athletes being above the law. And, and this guy, this young man, he, he's only 19 or 20 years old. He's a legitimate child right now trying to, you know, earn his way and everything to get into the NFL. But he needs, he, along with a lot of other college athletes, need to learn boundaries. There's nothing that is really keeping these kids disciplined in any way, and especially when you allow quote-unquote extraordinary circumstances to let people back on the field. It's, it's going to be awful if he is allowed, if he's charged. But with all of that being said, I want to take into the fact that he officially has not been charged yet. It, nothing has happened yet to him. He is still... Um, you know, innocent until proven guilty. So let's focus on that fact. And, and, you know, that's that's really all I can say about it now. Until there's actually more evidence that comes out, I, I'm trying my best to not lean to a side or, you know, a left or a right until there's more information put forth. But in the future, if this does happen and if he is charged and the university and the NCAA allows the university to let him play, as a Florida Gator fan, that just gives me much, that much more hatred towards the Florida State Seminoles program and everything that they stand for. Yeah, I mean, if Tim Tebow wasn't enough to get you off Florida, I don't know what... Uh, I but, mean, uh, how could Tim Tebow be, you know? Okay, well... <laughs> Let's go into Tim Tebow for a minute. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, okay, the two affidavits that came out that were submitted to the state attorney that were just by bystanders, by people that were at the actual party or whatever when this happened, Mm -hmm. it's come out that they were both Florida State football players. Now, this doesn't already, this doesn't accuse, this doesn't make his case worse, but it doesn't make it better. 
especially with all the stuff we've been talking about, the Ridgey Incognito thing. Locker room is a locker room is a locker room, and you stay tight, and that's what locker rooms do. So, and, and you're right. I'm not. I'm not saying that this kid did it. I'm not saying he did it. I'm just saying if he were to, this is the course of action that I would take as an administrator of Florida State University. Now, this woman, I feel awful for her that she has to be put through this again. If the if again if the if the actual act itself, alleged act itself, wasn't enough, being just put through, I don't know if she's if she's getting threats, if she's getting anything like this. I hope you don't mess up our football season. Blah blah. I mean, with all, reading all the stuff that I've read. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that that's already happening. Now, the the statement from her attorney, Patricia Carroll, said her client isn't out for money. Quote, she's not someone with any interest in ruining the football team. And and then, quote, she was trying to move on with her life. The fact that a quote was put out that she was not trying to ruin anything for the football team, this is, again, centralized on football and not centralized on the act. This girl is so scared, seemingly, to, to be looked at as somebody that could ruin a championship season that it's overlooking everything that's important in this, in this, in this uh, investigation. And it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I've, I've said my piece over the, last two, over the last two days. We'll see what happens when it comes out, what, when the truth comes out, when the investigation is completed. But it seems like that day one, it didn't happen. When, when the story was reported. Day two, stuff came out that made it look like it did happen. Day three, now we don't know what happened. So, I mean, it's the same progression bringing back the Ringing Cognito thing. It's not even in the same ballpark, but it's one person's right, then the next person's right, then both people are, are right. So we won't know what happened. This is Media 101. Keep everybody guessing. Make a name for yourself, and, and the truth will come out at some point. So... You know, and I, I don't know. I mean, what else do you have to say, I like, Donnie? I like how you say this is Media 101. That is a great example of what it is because we are looking at both sides. And as hard as I said, I'm trying to not make a decision. Of course I am. Of course I'm leaning one way or the other. I'm arguing about it with friends. I'm talking about, I mean, I'm talking about attorneys. Like, I know them by first name at this point in time. When does that happen, you know? Jameis Winston is now a headline news story if he wasn't already just in the Heisman talks. But the thing that that bothers me about um, Patricia Carroll, the Acuna's attorney's uh, statements was if the victim, quote, if the victim was interested in notoriety, why would she not have taken any action all this time? End quote. It almost, that quote or that question leads me to believe a little bit of the opposite because you brought it to my attention. Jameis Winston a year ago, or I'm sorry, in January, was still someone that had never seen a down, basically, in Florida State football. As of right now, he's, um, if he wanted to, next April, he could be signed for a four-year contract, about 4 to $5 million a year, because he'd be a top three pick. Um, and he's got a championship. Uh, he's possibly going to see a championship where he can be the first team ever, first non-SEC team ever to win a BCS title game. Uh, the, the BCS championship game, because it's been seven years in a row, all SEC teams. So it, you have to understand that there's a lot more writing on this situation now that, it's come to t- now that it's come to light at this point in time. But on the other hand, the biggest information that I want to have cleared up is who leaked the DNA information. The DNA info that was voluntarily um, put up by Jameis Winston because he admits that there was a sexual encounter of some sure. sort. Sure, yeah. 
that's the problem, is who leaked that information? Because do you want that information leaked because you voluntarily gave it up, as Winston did? Or do you want that information leaked because now you know that the accuser and Winston actually had some sort of sex? Who benefits more from this leaked information? And I think that is going to lead you to the guilty party. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I agree. I think that anything being leaked does not benefit the alleged victim. Because Absolutely. she did not, she did not pursue this for one reason or another. Which, I mean, statistics show that a, a lot of cases like this don't ever get reported. Many, most, do not get reported. So she didn't get, she didn't do it reported. She, she didn't report it in, De- in December seventh, two thousand twelve, and then eleven months later, it gets leaked. There, there's a disconnect, and I agree. The timing and who leaked it are the two most important things in this situation. Because maybe there's a guy that wanted to make a name for himself that did this at the perfect time, right when the Heisman race was heating up, right when the national championship game is around the corner. This is the perfect time to throw a monkey wrench into everything. And, and it has. And it has. So, you know what? Uh, we got to take a break. On the other side, we'll talk about, we'll talk about A-Rod. Uh, Donovan Files on the phone. Alex Clancy. Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. We'll be back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Lockdown coverage. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy in studio. Donovan Files from the award-winning Miller Files radio show in San Diego, 1320 AM. Palomar.edu backslash KKSM is on the line with me. We've covered the Saints. We've covered Jameis Winston and the ongoing saga. And now we get to talk about A-Rod. Yippee. Yesterday, both sides rested their cases. They have 10 days or they have until December 11th to file written briefs, which for labor hearing talk, that means closing arguments. Uh, and after that, another 10 days to file replies to each other's briefs. Once that's done, uh, Mr. Horowitz, who is uh, in charge of the arbitration, Fred Horowitz has 25 days to come to a decision. Let me give you a little background on Fred Horowitz. This guy is no joke. 
He's been an arbitrator since 1989. Full-time arbitrator and mediator in Santa Monica, California, specializing in public and private sector labor and employment disputes. He's a member of the Board of Governors and past Southern California Regional Chair of the National Academy of Arbitrators, past chair of the Los Angeles County Bar Labor and Employment Law Section, former advisor, executive, blah, blah, blah. This guy has a laundry list of positions that he's held. Expect so, to see him on a ballot sometimes. Yeah, yeah, so this guy, if anybody could find the correct verdict for this case, it's him. So A-Rod... Uh, his quote, first thing he came out said, we crushed it, they had nothing. He wasn't there. He, had, he has no idea what was said in there besides what his, what his attorneys told him. He then went on to say, quote, now that it's over, as far as the state of the case, how the evidence went in, how my team challenged it, I feel great. The only thing that concerns me is the process. Oh, so that means I studied for my test, I feel good about it, now the process is the test, I hope I pass. Like, that's really pretty much what he said. And we have Kwame on the line. Kwame, you there, man? I'm here. What's going on, Alex? How's it going? Say hi to Donnie. Donnie, Kwame. You guys haven't met yet. Um, What do you think, with all of the stuff coming out about A-Rod, and now it's just going, you know, it'll go into the closing argument phase, what do you think's going to happen with A-Rod with all this stuff that's come out, Kwame? Uh, A-Rod will be lucky if he can get 200-something games suspended, uh, but what he, what he's been doing is trying to protect that legacy of his, trying to uh, not go down. Let's and just for I throw out a Barry Bonds. You know, Barry Bonds wasn't found guilty or that stuff, but we just speculate on his body changing and the stuff he's using. So, um, but as far as A Rod legacy protection, he's hoping there's a miss a mishap with the uh, procedure of how it goes in. He want to get into a situation where there was a Ryan Braun incident where, well, the the person who's taking the urine samples and all those the blood. Let it sit for two days. He's just looking for some way or, or some some glitch where he can be exonerated from anything having to do with steroids or performing enhanced drugs. Well, do you think that'll I think happen? Do you... I think he depends on who you pay. You pay the right people, anything can happen. It's just, just like how he got to this point. How you not know what you're taking, what's being put in your body? I, I, any athlete at this point in their career or at this point in sports, there was so much information out there. As far as you can use this, you cannot use that. Don't question what's being put in your body. Have a problem with it. They know what's going in there. They know what's going in there. They know what it's used for, uh, but they don't check with the commissioner. They don't check with the, uh, let's say, major league. They don't check with the NFL to see if this is something that I can use or not. He knows He knows what's going in his body. If you don't, then he has a case because the guy who puts it in there. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and I think... That is like he has a medical malpractice suit against the Yankees doctor as well. That that's that's pending. The, all of this going on, Donnie. What do you think? I, I agree with you know knowing what you put in your body and almost to try and get himself out of this or to allow him to be telling the truth by saying I don't know is I mean turning it plugging your ears when the doctor is kind of you know telling you what is actually being put into your body right now or looking away, doing something where it kind of almost gives you the ability to say, I didn't know, which I don't believe. Give me, give you that. But the problem with the actual case itself for me is that A-Rod has admitted on, you know, 60 minutes that he used performance enhancing drugs. That was in the past. That was before there was actually a, um, a suspension given down to people that were testing positive. 
Therefore, Alex Rodriguez has never been suspended for PEDs, period, in his career. Right. The first, as of right now, a first-time offender is supposed to be a 50-game suspension, period. Why is he getting 211? I'm not saying... I'm not saying I don't agree with the fact that he should be out of baseball for longer than 50 games, but by the black and white of it, by the paper side of things, reading rules, a first-time offender is supposed to get 50 games. That's what Everest Cabrera served here in San Diego. Same with Yasmani Grandal here in San Diego. They both served 50-game suspensions because they were first-time offenders. Yeah, so you know these guys, these guys get a pamphlet like everyone in a, a major league sports, all the way down to soccer, uh, or possibly depending on where you live, all the way up to soccer. They um, they get things that we can't. It's in the back of the playbook, and I can bring one in and show you guys, but it's in the back of our, our, our big playbooks of what we can use and what we can cannot use. And some of that stuff is not up there. I will look, because um, there's, there's so many so many scientists and, and guys are looking for an edge to create something to get to a guy where it's almost genetically unable to find. Guys used to take ephedrine. Ephedrine wasn't banned by the NFL. This was probably fifteen. This was probably fifteen years ago, but then a year later, the NFL bans ephedrine. So guys, they always looking for the edge, and I've never heard it to say to get stronger. It was always for energy, always for energy. So then guys start taking B twelve shots, which is which is legal, uh, but they always looking for an edge. And as far as suspension goal, I think your first warning is when we sit in that classroom with our own coaches or maybe the team doctors and tell us these are the things you cannot use. There's in your back, back of the book. And most organizations, most teams say, read them on your own or read them when you get time. But if you see some of the words they are, you can read that stuff. But that means you have to do a whole lot of research uh-huh. to go find out what this word means or what, is, what kind of drug is this. And uh, those guys don't have that type of time. Now, so they do, won't make that type of time. Do you, well, with, with the whole thing with Mark McGuire, let's f- go back a few years. Wasn't he... Not allowed in the Hall of Fame. Well, he was on the ballot, but wasn't he shunned because of the creatine usage and stuff he used before it was legal? Before it was illegal. Was it, wasn't, wasn't that wasn't that the same thing? I say it has a lot to do with it, but to say that Mark McGuire didn't continue on to well, you could say the same about this. Well, I, but now it's illegal, and now he's being you know put on trial for it. So. I, I wonder Mark if there's. McGuire, a, I think that when you go back to the further things back, yeah, he was looked down upon, but the reason why he's not being let into the Hall of Fame is because of his connection to the actual use of steroids, yeah. as opposed I would to tell you, uh, in the previous year. I will also, I will also add on, uh, not to cut you off, but Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa uh, was also one more other, another guy, uh, or Barry Boss was in mix somewhere. Those guys were used to bring baseball back to life, and now that they've done that, we, we had to imagine that no one can hit that many home runs. No one can have tele- television views went up, money went up. No one can hit that many home runs consecutively every game. One of these guys to hit multiple home runs. But these guys are used, in my opinion, to bring baseball back to life. Because after the after the strike, there was nobody in baseball. Nobody was really paying attention except for lo- those loyal fans. But when they started hitting those home runs, baseball's revenue started coming back up. Attended TV. All those things start being profitable. Yeah. So it's, it's, if he used that stuff, Mark McGuire, uh, knowing to, knowingly beforehand, then yeah. But if he used it and didn't know and then it was banned afterwards, I said Mark McGuire, like I think Pete Rhodes has been a Hall of Fame. Yeah, okay. So so back to A-Rod. So 
he admitted that he admitted in 2009 in an interview that in a three-year span with the Rangers from 2001 to 2004 or 2003, whatever the years are, that uh, he used performance-enhancing drugs. Fine. Okay. He blamed his contract of $250 million as the reason why, because he wanted to live up to his contract. I mean, I could see the humanity in that, the humility, but his numbers didn't diminish after those three years. So maybe he gave them a little peace, but I feel like Major League Baseball is smart enough now to know that between 2003 and when he started getting injured, that there was definitely performance-enhancing drug use there. I think he gave him a, they gave him a little nugget. He gave him a little, yes, I did it during this time. Get off my back. I'm not going to tell you about the other eight years that I did. This is all speculation, but if Major League Baseball wouldn't have pursued this unless it was a complete witch hunt by Bud Selig, which I don't see it as being. Some people call, I was actually talking to Francis about this, that Bud Selig is looked at as a dictator. He brought that up to me. I think he's trying to clean up the game. He's trying to save his face, save the fa- his own face as a commissioner. But I don't think he would go on a supreme witch hunt like this if they didn't have something. And I think that they do have something, and Mr. Mr. Uh, Horowitz will find it if they do. And a lot will come out. And I, Donnie, I, I mean, I, I, I can appreciate that standpoint that they really have nothing on him when steroids became illegal. Maybe there's no statute of limitations for going back for when he when he did when he did uh, say that say that he did use steroids and or performance enhancing drugs. And with uh, Anthony Bosch when he said that Anthony, when uh, he said that Alex Rodriguez used steroids, I mean I think there's a huge thing that they have here that we just don't know about yet. I mean personally, well, there better be. Uh, yeah. We better not know everything about it. You're right, and on that. Um, but where where is there an opportunity for it to stop? I, I think that this is only going to continue because of the the integration of players from out of country. What are the drug regulations or baseball regulations in Cuba or in the Dominican where we're actually bringing in players now? And so, and that is where A Rod has been connected to a lot is the Dominican and things like that. Going out of country, going you know overseas for means of basically, you know, importing these things. So at what point do you start intercepting the opportunity to go to other places and bring this back or to, you know, go to other guys that have easily access to Dominican and things like that to find these things? Because that, I think, is where it's all coming from. In my view now is that it's all coming from an outsource, and there's a lot of players. I'm, you know, just watching my watch, waiting for uh, for Puig to get, something happened to him, which yeah. is unfortunate, but that's now that is the way I've been trained to think because of the last 10 years or so of baseball. Uh, uh, I, 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 <laughs> I agree with that. I'm not that guy, but every time someone has some type of uh, success from one year to another, the first thing we do mentally, we think about the, uh, what drug is he taking? Well, it's unfortunate. On? Yeah. Well, sorry like, about that. But it is. Like nothing else good could be going on in his life. So now with the leagues doing even collegiate level is what they start doing is texting guys on the off season. Because you make up a great point about the Dominican and then Puerto Rican. Uh, they go over there and they throw those guys. It's a farm thing. They spend more money over there as much as they do here as far as building baseball diamonds, looking for the mm-hmm. next 13-year-old who they can uh, bring to the double-A uh, and triple-A by the time he's 15 or 16 and have him playing in the majors by 18. And then as far as the schools, they circumvent, circumvent 
well, go to school, get your GED, you can play. Or we look at the guy who, he's in Washington right now. He dropped out of high school, got a GED. He's one of the best baseball players in the game right now today. Yeah, but so they, they, but, but they go overseas and they and they breed these guys. They they give them every opportunity to be successful. But they they may allow them. I don't know it's for fact. They may allow them to get on certain certain things because, as I was alluding to, that in college, when these guys get on cycles and then they get off, and that's when they started testing guys all year round, even in the summertime. If you're on vacation in Hawaii somewhere, someone will fly to Hawaii just to test you, which is crazy. They want you to be clean all 365 days. So let's segue this from the A-Rod thing. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what transpires with that. We're going to go through breaks. I want to keep talking about this. Let's talk about that because you bring up a good point, Donnie. Do you think that if you're coming from an impoverished place and you have a chance to play sports in the United States, say let's take baseball because we're talking about it, what, I mean, I would try to get an edge so I can get a contract, so I can send money back to my family, so I could do things. I mean, all you – say you sell Puig is juicing, hypothetically speaking. I hope he's not, but let's say he is. He's made a whole bunch of money already. So he's going to get that money, and he's going to make a better life for his family because of it. So it's really a double-edged sword when it comes from that with the outsourcing of, of the actual drugs and with, with the players coming from other countries – where where is the morality there? Is it like is there is there any immorality there? I mean, if you're trying to make a better life for your family, would you do it by any means necessary, including taking some performance enhancing drugs to get a contract? I mean, it's it's hard it's hard to be put like to hypothetically put myself in a situation where I'm Fair. living in possibly a third world country, but uh, of course, as you even say, you know, uh, to a lesser degree, do you try and listen to a plays or do you? Uh, over here plays in an offensive huddle when you're on the defense. I mean, do you try and predict what the pitcher's about to throw because you know what, you know, he's a fastball pitcher. You always try and get an edge in some way. It's up to the individual to decide how far you want to lean on that edge, you know. And so I agree. I hope nothing happens with him. But it's unfortunate. I'm just in a pessimist now, and I expect something to come up, come up now. Yeah. Everybody's looking for the edge. That's why you have these gimmicky tools to use in every sport. That you, thirty second commercial uh, showing you go get this, go join this club, do this. That's an edge in, in itself. You go um, uh, different. There's fifty million different golf clubs that you can buy. Uh, half of them are more than gimmicky than the guy who's making them. But they're looking for an edge. What works for them? Join this sports club. Join this sports group. Uh, can I get an agent now? How can I get my, my name or my, my face or my talent in front of this person, this team, this organization? Uh, but everyone looks for that edge, and that's why they do this. That's why well, I mean, performance is so successful. Yeah, that's fine, but none of, the, none of the things you just said are cheating. None of the things no, you said are against... The, the edge. I understand, but the que- like my question, do you, like, is there any morality in using performance-enhancing drugs as a third-world... Uh, third world native. Like, do you I think I couldn't uh, speak on a Dominican well, Republic? I couldn't speak on another country because drugs in that country are legal as opposed to what's legal over here. So them using those and being and it helped and enhance their body, their hand eye coordination, their quickness, their speed, their agility. It may be legal over there. We we hear talk all the time, and we talk on the show sometimes about guys going overseas getting their surgery as opposed to here because certain things are legal over there. Uh, you come back surgeries are, can be done differently. Uh, I know 
Asian Asian uh, kids at the young age get their legs broken and get extensions on their legs so they can be taller. Uh, but uh, yeah, as far as the legality of it, I couldn't speak on another country because of the FDA and what was legal there is not always legal here. Now, okay, um, I want to end that topic. I do want to bring up, because call me, I want to get your opinion on this, and Donnie. Um, Lane Kiffin came out and supported the, he backed Ed Orgeron as the new, as the head coach of USC going forward. Do you think Lane Kiffin has any sort of weight in any facet of college football anymore? He used to be a great mind. He probably still is a great mind, but do you think he's muddied the water so much that people just want him to go in a hole and, and never be heard from again? I think Lane Kiffin, he has to be in some somewhat of a secret society because this guy always finds a job. He's, he, do, he does things, in my opinion, uh, unethical or unmoral, and he gets a job. He's speaking on someone else or giving, or giving his blessings or putting weight on something means nothing to me because he hasn't even established who he really is as a coach, as far as other than being able to get a job here and there, quitting another school, quitting another place to get a goal, do a better thing, which is nothing wrong with that. But how you do it means a lot to me. I don't think it has served any weight on him giving the blessing to someone else for the job. Well, do you think he's trying to like, you think he's trying to... He's steering. Yeah, well, I mean, do you think he's trying to interview for another job, say, you know, I am really a good guy, and even though I got fired, I still back one of the guys that, that were, used to work for me? Here, here's Absolutely. what I think about Lane Kiffin. In a sense, he may be saying, well, this guy is better serves USC here. I just I thought I, did, I thought I could fit the mold here, but you know, certain coaches go to certain schools, and they just flourish a lot, but he's probably using that as, a, as some type of uh, marketing and media ploy, whereas, well, this guy will work great at USC. I know I'll be served better somewhere else, which gives other teams and other schools to uh, an opportunity to interview him, which is going to happen anyway. Donnie, get in there. Yeah, this is a classic example of almost a um, overprivileged kid thinking that he can do basically whatever he wants because of his father, Monty Kiffin, has been a head or not a head coach necessarily, but has been an NFL coach or a college coach for a couple of decades before Lane Kiffin even got involved in coaching. So he, maybe this secret society that you're talking about, Kwame, has to do with maybe legacy, has to do with kind of a hierarchy. And Monty Kiffin, who, you know, he fired, Lane Kiffin fired himself, um, felt like he could keep basically burning bridges and be okay on the other side because I'm going to find another job because I am legacied into the, college football coaching situation or even in the NFL for that matter because his father had been there for several a couple of decades before he even you know yeah. put on a uh, put on a headset yeah, yeah it's kind of like the Shanahan keep a look keep a look out on uh, Great um, uh Shanahan's um, son he's going to be traveling those circles in a minute mm-hmm. yeah so I mean it, it, Lane Kiffin goes on to say just these things you know I, it seems like he's trying to make himself look good it seems like he's trying to try to salvage what he did at USC, which is pretty much burn down the fran- burn down the the football program. I understand the sanctions were there. I understand that that he was kind of put into a situation to fail, which I mean, I it's kind of poetic justice and karma for that. But um, for him to even open his mouth is it, it's unnecessary. It's not going to help. Ed Orgeron has done nothing, but he's won national championships there. He's everybody loves him there, and 
in so let's let's say with this we have four minutes till till close. Do you think that they should bring him on as the next head coach and give him a four or five year extension? Because normally they'd bring in the big names, they'd bring in the uh, John Gruden, pay him nine mil. They'd bring in Jack Del Rio, even though I think that's an awful decision. Even though as a USC guy, you know Kevin Sumlin, who who have who have foundationalized my opinion on saying that he's a Johnny Manziel product. But do you think that they should bring him back or go somewhere else and get a big name? Let's go to Kwame first, real quick. I think I'm bringing a guy who's uh, who can interview well and has that passion. It, it says a lot about the interviews. I know uh, what we just said a second ago is yeah, I don't want to pick a guy because his family and it's a secret society he's in or the 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 camaraderie he has with a certain coach. I'd rather pick a guy who comes from the street of Bill Belichick that knows the um that can go in there and demand attention of his team and, and lead us in the right direction. But at the same time I like to give him time to build. Not saying, Oh, he comes from Bill Belichick, we should be winning right now. But he has to put his imprint on his uh on the team and, and find a direction, get his own recruits. If it's not if it's professional, bring in his own draft pick. You got to give guys three to four years to do that. I know winning and losing is everything in, in major league sports, um, but you have to get some more time to build the team and make it look like this is the direction we're going. Yeah, uh, Donnie, real quick, we got two minutes. That's definitely the you know uh, side of college that is unique is that you need to give them at least two years so their incoming freshmen can become juniors and actually become probably the majority of starters. And that's where college is a little bit unique. I think Coach O should be given the opportunity, but do you give it to him right now without interviewing Del Rio? No, of course not. And I also think, just in Coach O's defense, I think it goes a long way. The interview process with athletic directors and other people that are you know, involved in the program, also, I think there should be some rapport that you have with the players already. You should have the couple of people that are going to be there next year that are going to be leading your team on the field they should right. be in contact with Coach O as well in order to make sure that they're on the same page going forward and they can actually, you know, muster a season next season. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I kind of see this guy as a Rudy figure. You know, he's finally given his chance and he's flourishing. So I really hope that they bring him back on. Maybe they interview him as if they don't know him. And they interview him, they put him in the interview interviewing pool to at least give him a real shot. You know, especially Absolutely. especially if they get to a bowl game and win a bowl game this year. Nobody thought they would even be in the top twenty five right now, and he's brought them all the way back. So I've seen some coaches have interviews, uh, knowing they already had the job. So the conversation was more about the family and everything, having a cup of coffee, and then they watched the meeting a lot sooner than any other interviewee uh had. So they knew they had the job. I think it should be taken serious. I think on the collegiate level, you need to bring some alumni guys who've made it to another level, the next level of any other sport. Yeah, hopefully not quarterbacks from USC, because that's not yeah, much. Yeah, bring some alumni guys <laughs> and let them, let them coach, uh, let them be part of the interviewing process as far as defense, offense, special teams. And, uh, and because you have a lot of ADs who've never played the game, uh, requiring on, can a guy interview well? How does he look in his interview? Yeah. All right, well, uh, we have about 30 seconds uh, Donovan, thank you for joining me today. Donovan Files, the Miller Files award-winning radio show, 1320 AM, San Diego, palomar.edu, backslash KKSM. Follow him at Donovan Files on Twitter. Kwame on the air at Kwame Lasseter, at Clancy's Corner for me on Twitter. Um, we will see you guys next week, Monday, 10 AM, Arizona, 12 PM Eastern, 9, P- 9, AM, 9 AM Pacific. We'll see you guys next week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Call me Lester Sports Talk. Thanks for tuning in this week. 
Join us every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.